your mind, but I want to say this is what this actual statistic means. It means that you and I have had people who live in the space of our hearts end their lives prematurely. That's what that statistic means. It means that you've given people space in your heart, in your life, that have tragically, prematurely, and sadly, taken their life too early. What does one in five mean? One in five means that too many children feel trapped and frightened and alone. Too many children feel trapped, frightened, and alone. Too many of my friends and your friends and family have stopped believing that tomorrow can be better than today. And this is the crux of our conversation this morning. This is where I want to pin everything on this morning. So stay awake, stay there, don't fall asleep on me this morning because there's people that need to hear us. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm not depressed, I'm not despair, uh, I don't really need this conversation, man, you do. You do. Don't come here thinking, I'm not getting anything out of this. Run out of here with a message of hope. Run out of here, take the tools, buy them, put them in your mind, write them down, take the notes, do something with them. There are people in your workplace, people in your family, people on your street, people sitting to the left and the right of you, who are suffering with despair and depression and you have something to give them. So if you're not in the place of despair and depression, I want you to bring life and hope and I want everywhere where you go, where you dwell, that you would be drenched, that you would be drenched in life and love and you something. And so, I find also in the space of faith that too few conversations are had regarding the struggles that we have of this feeling of emptiness that leads to depression, that leads to despair. Far few conversations, there's far too many people and yet few conversations in the space of faith called the church where we're not having these conversations. Where we're not having these conversations. And, and, and what we want to do sometimes is, as Christians, and it's not right, we want to like, just throw magic at people. Uh, and, and, that, and that doesn't work. And you know, we want to say, you know, you know, read more scriptures, pray more, have more faith, and you won't feel like that. But that is not the result and the reality of many people. They're reading the scriptures, they're praying like crazy, they're getting themselves around people, and they have faith, and yet there's times in their lives where they fear despair and they feel depression. How do I know this? Because if you open the scriptures at all, if you've ever opened the scriptures, there is one thing in common among the heroes of the faith, whether they're male or female, they've, they've, they've had some experiences of many, many highs, extraordinary highs of seeing, uh, uh, throwing salt into water actually and, and seeing it heal people and seeing the water become better. They've seen dead people come alive. They've seen food multiplied. They've seen uh, oil multiplied. They've seen water split. They've seen some amazing, amazing things. They've seen God save a whole city and a whole town. And yet, there's something in common with the heroes and the heroines of the scriptures that all of them seem to have these incredible highs. And yet, so many of them, so many of that mission had countless miracles, signs and wonders, at the same time finding themselves in moments of despair. Moments of despair. Jonah, David, Saul, Jeremiah, just a few of those guys who have moments of despair and depression. So let me say it again, if you've ever thought, or if you've ever whispered, have you ever whispered, if I just got this Christian walk right then, I wouldn't feel like this? If I just read a little more, I wouldn't feel like this. If I just prayed a little more, I wouldn't feel like this. I shouldn't feel like this. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't feel like this. That is not true. The truth of the scripture is that the heroes and the heroines all in their highs also felt tremendous things. And so I want to tell you the story again, if that's okay, of Elijah. That's why I love this story. I want to look at the story of Elijah again this morning. 
and there are insights it's a light for living beyond the shadow of depression this story so would you turn to scripture with me this morning let's just get really really uh, intentional about what we're about this morning and why we're here and let's be intentional about our time this morning as we gather I want you to turn to 1 Kings 19 if you have a phone that has a Bible on a new version or anything like that Please turn it up. You can just, it's, it's the best thing that you can go find the name of that book and you can just press on it and it actually takes you straight to the point in the chapter of the verse. I'm going to read 19 verses this morning. Uh, bear with me. First uh, Kings 19, 1 and 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She said, I'm going to make your life a living hell. Have you ever heard that? Men? <laughs> That's bad, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just trying to inject a little humor in a little heavy conversation. That's all I'm trying to do. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in, Ju in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched and said to him, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> Elijah doesn't catch on to this. It's a rhetorical question. He starts to tell God. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful one tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the one. After the one, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood to the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I think Elijah has Alzheimer's. He says, <laughs> He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. This one to reject your comment, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, Then go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hesam. King of Aram. Also in our Jehu, son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Israel, and in our Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed his prophet, Jehu will put to death any who skip the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who skip the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed them. So Elisha went out from there, he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and uh, he was plowing with twelve oxen, yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and he threw the cloak around him. I pray that God will bless his word to us today, that it will become relevant to our lives and our hearts, and I hope you're prepared to engage with it this morning. When I say that this is where Elijah is, he's at the end of himself, and I think it's not a bad place to be because you can only find the end of yourself 
You only come to the end of yourself. Sorry, it is about this to be able to say that. It's about this because when you come to the end of yourself, you start to believe that tomorrow cannot be better than today. That's what it means. That's what it means. What does it mean about coming to the end of yourself? That's, that's the simplest form that I can put it in today. In words, that one sentence, that one statement. When you stop believing tomorrow can be better than today, then you're at the end of yourself. You're out of options, you're out of opinions, you're out of perspective. This is where Elijah is. He's in the total depths of depression and despair. The hero, the anointed one, the prophet, who, who, who just before this, this happened, when Jezebel spoke those words, this guy went out and he spoke to 900 prophets. In fact, he summoned 900 prophets, 450 from each false god, and says, come on, let's get together. Let's get together and let's see who the real God of Israel is. And he, 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 he puts on this, can I call it a show? Puts on the show, he gets a sacrifice and he builds an altar. And in a time of, of drought, he gets water and he drenches this thing. He drenches it so much so the water is, is spilling off the altar and he's calling on God of his salvation to come. And we know the story that God comes with fire. And he sets this thing on it. So this is the anointed one. This is the one with the experience. This is the man who was heard from God, who knew God, who was a hero and anointed by God for task after task. Task after task, and here he is hiding and saying, God, end it all. End it all. I want to give you a lesson here this morning. The lesson is success doesn't make you immune from depression. Success doesn't make you immune from depression. You may have looked at someone's life, someone's life who's more successful, whatever that successful looks like for each and every one. Because if we're, we're all honest to God and before God in this room this morning, we all have this comparison thing in our lives, don't we? It's just a default, it's not a good default, but we all compare. But it doesn't matter how much more money somebody else has, you'll compare yourself. It doesn't matter how much smarter anybody else is than you. There's always, you're always going to compare yourself to somebody else. We all fall into the comparison trap. And so we think that, man, if I just had a bit more success, if my life had this in it, then I would never feel depressed. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand, but do you ever look at people and they seem to have all together and you wonder why they are depressed and in despair? And I'll explain that just in a minute. I have an answer for that. But man, if it was success, if it was success, then Robin Williams and Winston Churchill would never have found depression to be part of their story, and yet it was so much part of their story. <coughs> Two of my heroes, Winston Churchill and Robin Williams. More Colin Norson. Colin Norson. Do you remember that? Changed my life forever. Dynamic. Do you remember? Too old. Many people in our society, maybe you're here today, you're anxious and you're in despair because you're in the race to find perfection and success. I'll give you two helpful thoughts here on this. Perfection is not attainable, but contentment is. Godliness with contentment is a great thing. Scriptures talk about it. In fact, Paul teaches Timothy, he says, you know what, have a look around you, everybody seems to have everything together. I've given them riches for the for the benefit, but if they don't have contentment, they have absolutely nothing. But he tells them to be rich with generosity and their works. He's looking at rich people like you and I. We're rich. You may not believe it, but we're rich. We are rich. And he looks at us. The word of God is that if we don't have contentment in our life, we have absolutely nothing. We do not find the light of this truly life. Paul talked about don't you want to find a life that is truly life? The Jesus life that he talks about in John 10, 10, a life that is life to the full, regardless of the circumstances, 
regardless of the culture around you, that you can have life and have life to the full. That's what he promises. That's the target for these conversations also. That's where we're headed. We want to find life that is truly life. But I want to tell you that perfection is not obtainable. And so many people are stressed and, and, and in despair and in anxiety because we live with this, everything needs to be perfect world. You're driving your kids here, there, and everywhere because you want your kids to be perfect. I want to tell you something. Your kids cannot be perfect at everything. They can be good at some things and be perfect at maybe one thing that will actually just like it can be actually excellent something, but perfection, I don't know if perfection actually is available to us here on earth. I don't know if it is. Some of you need to give yourselves a break and give your kids a break. Stop driving and striving for perfection because it will not happen. Find godliness and contentment and then you'll find the life that's true. Life. And here's the other lesson I've learned in my life is that if we don't learn to deal with and use the tools that we have where we are now, when we find success, we're never going to be able to handle it. If you don't find contentment now, if you don't find the peace now that passes understanding, and you think it only comes with success, no way will it come with success. It only brings more despair, it only brings more problems. You'll be hanging on there when you get to that top of what you call success. You'll be on the top of that ladder and you'll be hanging on with your finger and you'll think, how am I going to survive this? But if we learn with the tools that we have today, and I'm going to give you some tools today, if we learn to use those tools well, and if we do it now where we are, in the space where we are, in the place where we are, in the situation where we're in, then we can find that we can handle success. And success is a good thing. I want every one of you that sits in one of those black chairs to be successful in whatever God has called you to. I want you to be successful in parenting. I want you to be successful in your friendships. I want you to find success in your business world, in your, in your spiritual life. I want you to find success because success is actually a good thing. Is that okay? Elijah was at a high time. So why the depression and despair? Because it's an eternal struggle. That's why you see people that look like they have it all together. They look like, like life is swimming and going well. And you, you cannot understand why they're depressed, why they're in a place of despair. And, and, and there's times in your life when you've actually, and there's times in my life when I've actually said, what if I got to be depressed about it? I've got a good wife, I've got a great family, I've got good kids, I've got house, I've got a house for my car, I've got a garden, I've got everything that I need, I've got a great job with some beautiful people around me, and what have I got to be depressed about? Because I'll tell you why, it wasn't the voice of Jezebel that put him into despair, it was the echoes in his soul that put him into a place of depression. That there is a good word. It wasn't the physical voice of Jezebel that put him running into the place of despair. It was the echo of the voice that was within his own soul that caused him to run to the cave and, and lean into the place of darkness. Don't you find that? Don't you find it's not the voice that's out there, but it's actually the voices that's already in your soul that it just starting to reverberate and echo again. And when you hear something, all of a sudden it triggers something and then it actually matches something that's going on in your soul. Because you need to learn to quiet the ways within. We need to learn to quiet the ways within. Jezebel, I ain't being sexist. But this was one woman with big talk. And this guy had just stood up against 900 prophets who actually was a terrifying situation because these guys started self-harming. They're, they're calling out to their gods day and night. Uh, and because of the religion will never do anything for you, and religion is dead, it causes you to turn in yourself, to hate yourself, to despise yourself. That's what religion always does and always will do. These prophets, they end up actually cut themselves with knives. 
He's standing in the midst of us. And then he calls down the fire from heaven. God shows up and burns up the water. He dries up the sacrifice. And all the, these false prophets said, you know what they said in the scriptures? It's very funny. They said, we think your God's a real God. We're in. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And that's what happens. That's what happens. Is so this voice is not the physical voice of Jezebel, but it's the voice that echoes in the soul. It's the voices that echo in your soul. Which voice gets the power in your life? Which voices get the get the power in our lives? Because we have, we're the gatekeepers of our heart. We're the gatekeepers of our soul. We get to choose which voice gets into your soul. We get to choose which 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 voice we're going to marinate in. Do you know that word marinate? That's what we do when we're thinking stuff. We just marinate it. Just turn it over and over and let it linger. You know what? There's people living rent space or rent free in your mind. And they ain't, they ain't even concerned about you. But you have them living rent free in your mind day in and day out. But if you're tight like me, you want to sort that out. Right, Karen? <laughs> you want to sort that out. But I don't want anybody living rent free in my house. Life is hard enough, right? I have enough struggles. I don't need anybody that doesn't need to be there. I'll have enough difficulties with myself, never mind other people. Watch the voices. Watch the voices that you hear. You see, have you ever had the best day and the worst day of your life? I know that's just what happened there. Have you ever had that? No? Just me? It's very intimidating up here. <laughs> <laughs> you actually feel more depressed. <laughs> have you ever had the worst day and the best day? I've had it. There's days that just, you know, I've seen God do miracles. I mean, one time, and, well, maybe many times, I've seen God open ears and eyes. Within 24 hours, I'm thinking, is there a God? Have you ever been there? It's weird, but have you ever seen the miraculous and thought, I mean, you've, no, I'm not going to have to see my eye open or deaf ear here. But there's been miracles in your life, right? God has healed your situation, he's healed your heart, he's healed your depression, he's healed your despair, he's He's looked after you financially. I'm sure how many people have actually uh, experienced a miracle in their life? The only thing you could explain is that God showed up. It's quite a lot of you. Now, if those hands are up, how many of you also felt despair and also a bit of hope? All right, same people. It just means you're normal. That's all. See, emptiness and the feeling of despair is not the absence of God in our lives. It's not the absence of God. Even though Elijah's running, he's like cars crossing, he runs, he runs, he finds a broom tree. And, and, and actually, after that, he runs for another 40 days and 40 nights just to get away. It's funny that people run to get away from things, isn't it? And you end up taking yourself with you, and that just starts all on. Carry on, as they say, the scriptures. <laughs> Even though Elijah is running from God, you know what? I see God running to him. It's a beautiful picture that even though Elijah is running from God, and sometimes we run from God, then we might physically run from God, but man, we run from him. We shut him out, we hide him from our emotions, we keep him from our family, we want to keep him in a spare room in our house. We want to shut God out at times in our lives when we've had enough of God, when things are not going our way, when perfection isn't met, we're not content, and we don't feel like we have enough success, and we look around at other people, and all of a sudden our highs and our emotions take us to a low place, and what do we do? We want to keep God in the, in the roof space of our lives. We want to keep God in the garage. We want to keep God wherever we can keep. We want to run from Him, run from Him. But the thing is that God is never absent from us. That is, is not a biblical truth to say that sometimes God withdraws Himself 
from you. I do not believe that God ever withdraws himself from you. I always believe that God is near us. It says in the scriptures that if we draw near to God, God draws near to us. It's a great promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't believe that God plays hide and seek with us. Some theologians believe that. Some preachers believe that God runs from us so that we would pursue him more. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think he's always there. And I always think too that God is not running with us. He's actually running to us. What are you doing? Are we okay? Am I getting a little preachy? Could turn it down a bit. No, I couldn't. <laughs> the brokenness is not evidence that God is not here. And so I want to walk you through some learnings and some helps that, I've, that this story has brought out uh, for so many people and, and for me in particular personally. Uh, just a quick reminder, by the way, as we um, as we go through this, uh, there was one of the steps that Michelle gave in uh, the first week, and I just want to make that abundantly clear again this morning. The first step, if you're experiencing uh, any sign of depression and despair, is to make the appointment with your GP. You got that clear? Because we believe in the vineyard, we believe in miracles, we believe in medicine. That's why we prayed for all those in healthcare last week. We brought you up to front and prophesied of you. Can I just use this as a as a, a moment just to explain something? When I spoke in tongues last week, I know I've maybe frightened some of you, but I, uh, what I did according to the scriptures, as I, I believe God was on me, and He gave me the gift of tongues, so I used that gift, but I also then interpreted in English that I felt that there was a sign of heaven, a sign of compassion. So the two things were biblical together. I did speak in tongues publicly, but I also did interpret as I felt the Spirit moving me and explained to me what He was saying. Is that okay? Just in case you're confused about that. Let's move on. So make that a point of miracles and medicine. Uh, here's some insights and here's some lessons. And you want to write these things down because if you're not in this place, you know people who are in this place, please help other people. Please don't just be a consumer of the vineyard. We want to be people of light and hope. That's what we want to do about it. So here's the disclosure. And I, and I say this with caution because I know some people take this to, to the extreme. And then they, they feel, oh, I have no responsibility over my actions, over my life, or anything else. And this is all a, a spiritual thing. But I do want to give you a lesson here, and the lesson is important. After your greatest successes in your faith, you can be at your most vulnerable. You can be at your most vulnerable. Here he is, the prophet of God, calling down the fire from heaven. And he's seen a lot of cool stuff happen before that. And as he does that, he's at his most Vulnerable. He's at his high, and then he has this attack where he hears the echoes of his soul, leads him to a place of despair, a place where he wants to kill himself. So be careful not to allow your highs to create your most vulnerabilities. Don't live on the highs of emotions. If you do that, you're setting yourself up for vulnerability. You are. Uh, I've experienced this a lot in my life. I mean, one time we were in, a, I'm not going to explain all, all of it because it's too crude and too actually shocking, but one time uh, Alan Scott and I were over at a conference and the end of the night we just started praying. People got broke out. It was a vineyard national conference in Bournemouth. We started breaking in and uh, God started breaking in and we started praying for people. We discovered that night that there was pastors who had really decided that night they were at a national leaders conference and a vineyard conference and they hadn't told anybody, but they had decided that night when they were going back they were finished with church and leaving. Wow. Kind of spooked me a little bit. Uh, and we started praying and God started to speak over the night. And that night we went home and, and it was the most ridiculous night in the bad sense of the world. I, 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 I don't want to go into it. But uh, well, part of that night, I want to tell you the story, not for shock or not for effect, but I want to tell you the reality of it. 
that night I was in the room and we were in this really dingy bed and breakfast and I saw a figure in the corner of the room of an old woman's face and I was actually gripped by fear. And I woke up this morning, in the morning and, I, and, then, and the only thing I could do was tell myself, that was kind of nuts, the dream that I had. And, and just as I got myself calmed down, Alan's got turned over and says, what was that all about? And I said, what was what all about? He says, the old woman in the corner of the room. And I said, oh yeah. And you know what I said? I said, I'm out. I do not want this for my family. I do not want this for the kids. I want to go to bed at night and sleep, put the quilt over me. I don't want to have any part of this. And then God just says, you know what? Greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. This is just a scarecrow with his fruit. This is just a scarecrow with his harvest. And what he wants to do to your most spiritual high, the, the, the enemy wants to come to America and say, you know what, you are you anyway? You know, you, you, so what? Did that really happen? Do you really see that person's life change? Is your life really changed? Do you still have an anger issue? Do you still use bad words? John, do you still use bad words? <laughs> and so, don't allow the highs to create your most vulnerable moment. Be aware of this. Just be aware. Don't allow your emotions to take you to the high I am an incredibly high person, aren't I? Like, I mean, I love getting high. <laughs> don't tweet that. Don't tweet that. Don't tweet that. I love. I love highs. Okay. I love, I love the feeling of when you know football. I love the, I, there's something about the ball hitting the back of the net. An emotion goes in off and inside. It's like and all the endorphins are just multiplied in one second. It's just beautiful, beautiful feeling. The only thing is, following the scopes, you don't get those endorphins. You don't get that kind of medication. And, uh, so, so be careful with the highs. See, Elijah, he drops to the bottom after he soared to the top. And I, and I want to tell you, in the place of depression, it's not often as bad as you perceive it to be. God asked Elijah, why are you here? And he says, you don't know God? I mean, have you lost your mind, God? I mean, you really, you have no clue why I'm here? Jezebel is coming after me and she's going to kill me and I don't want her to kill me but I want to die. Strange. You kill me, God. You don't understand, God. I'm on the run. And God isn't looking for an update, actually. He's not looking for a status update. He's not looking, hey, you know that Facebook thing, what's on your mind? I would love to do that somewhere. It's just put it out there. What's on my mind? I'll tell you what's on my mind. <laughs> and you come here on a Sunday, there's three people sitting there. You should try. He's not looking for an update. Listen, what the Father is saying, Elijah. This is what he said. Listen to this. How did you get here? Not physically. How did you run here? What directions did you take? How did you end up here? That's a question he's asking you. How did you end up here? Elijah, how did you get here? I would say it's not as bad as it seems. When you move towards depression, your perception is that this crisis is permanent. It's never going to get any better. This is your destination. It's not going to get any better than this. Don't allow the voices to tell you that this is your now and forever and you're in a place of despair. Don't allow the voices to tell you this is why it is for you, this is how it will always be 
for you. That is not true. So imagine he, he lost perspective. It's not as bad as it seems. Some of you need to say that out loud this morning. And let's say it all together. Actually. Let's say this. It's not as bad as it seems. When it's not as bad as it seems. Shell's great at this with me. When I plummet, I plummet. Eight times past that, she says. When I plummet, I plummet. But it's not as bad as it seems. So you go to GP to make that call and get other people into your life because other people will always give you perspective. And you know what the problem is why you've got to force yourself to intentionally do that? Because when you're in a low, you don't hear people talking about what, you know. When you're in a place of depression and somebody says to you, sure, you had everything. It's like saying somebody just split up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Sure, spend more fish to see. Times are good, you never know. You'll thank me. You'll, you'll be thankful someday. Sometimes I thank God. Dad, no. you know, you'll put on that, uh, no. what do you call it? Guard bricks, so just put on that to bread. And, uh, no, don't do that. Don't put on guard bricks. It will make you depressed. He lost perspective. It's not as bad as it seems. See, you, you don't want, you're, blind to, you're blind to yourself, so you need to see an eye of all to bring hope into your life. Because we're just blinded. When we're depressed, we're in despair. I don't know about you, but with me, when I'm in a place of depression, I'm in a place of despair, I cannot see the good. I cannot see the goodness of God even in those moments. I need eyes to see. I need other people to be my seer for me and pull out the gold stitches. And here is the reality of life. And it's not as bad as it seems. You're not alone when you feel alone. It's another thing. God is there. You're not alone when you feel it. When you feel it at any stage, and it's, you feel it when the voices tell you. You can feel it at any stage of life. You'll feel it when the voices tell you that you're an accident. That's how you'll feel it. You'll feel it when, when you feel the voices say, you don't matter. It's a feeling when you reply, when you, when, you, when you have that moment when your dad walks out of you or your dad passes away. It's that feeling that you, you feel like it when, when, you can feel like it at any time. It's just aloneness, and you're not alone when you feel alone because God is always running towards you. You're not alone when you feel alone. Call somebody, pick up the phone, text somebody. When you feel alone, you're not alone. Sometimes you can feel alone, but you're not alone. And uh, Robin Williams said this, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. It's not, it's just the worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. Have you ever been there in the crowd and felt alone? Have you ever been in church and felt alone? I hope that's not your story here because it's the worst thing possible for a preacher or a pastor to hear that we want this place to be a place of welcome and a place of, of friendship and a place of encounter. We don't ever want you to feel alone in the crowd. Yeah. And you know what I love about the church and this particular church is that evidence, it's evidence of the promise from God that you don't have to feel alone because God never leaves us or forsakes us. And we are the power, we're the answer to that promise. We're the answer to that promise. Do you understand how important it is to have and be part of a church community? I don't want to preach to the choir because you're all here this morning. Do you know how important that is? You need the right people when you feel alone. You just don't need people, but you need the right people that don't make you feel alone when you are alone. You need the people that make you feel like you're welcome, that you're in comfort, that you're in a place of safety. And that's what the local church does. When the local church is at its best, it's a place of healing, it's a place of comfort. And I hear too many people say, I'm not in a good place, therefore I'm not going to go to church. Man, if you're not in a good place, get yourself screaming and kicking and get somebody to phone somebody next night and say, I don't feel it going, but come and get me anyway. Drag me out of the house kicking and scream. Is it about numbers and seats? No, it's not. It's about you never feeling alone. It's about you finding a place of welcome. It's about you coming into a space here where people 
walk through the doors and experience the love of God. And that's what I always want this place to be. This place is never a place of judgment. I have enough faith to, to believe that God, the Holy Spirit, will convict people. I don't want people to stay. I know we're all works in progress. I know we need things. I need things in my life change. But I have enough faith to believe that God will do that. We don't need to hear the condemnation when you come through the door. All you need to experience when you come through the door is that this is a place of welcome, this is a place of love, and this is a place of mercy. That's what we want, to, want you to experience. So don't choose to be alone. Showing up matters. And if you're here and you're saying, man, I'm feeling fully alive, my advice is show up for others. Show up for others because you do not know who's sitting beside you. Please show up for others. If you feel alive and you feel that you're in a place of goodness and, and favor in God, show up for others. Please show up for others. Others need you. Others need you. Don't choose to be alone. Elijah, go find a mission. Go find some people. Go find some, some people. Okay, you ready for my six-point sermon? <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. I have six points here. Are you ready for them? Your second sermon. Huh? Your second sermon. No, no, no. It's all happened today. It's all happening today. Okay, you've got a lot for your mother this morning. If the offering baskets need to go back around again, you can Shall we the offering baskets empty? We can go back around again. <laughs> In fact, we were speaking of India, I love what the Indians do. The preacher walks around and just eyeballs you and stands in front of you to give. And then he stands a little more. And then he leaves it open at the pulpit. And people come. I think it's a good idea to try and make So, back instead of the baskets that you can use or use to help people in your life or friends, I'm going to run around these down and then can we have the band also come up and be ready and we'll be searching you? All at the same time. If somebody wants to let the kids know that we're going to be the day to in the next couple of minutes to join us for communion at the table this morning. So, some practical steps if you have people in your life who are struggling, if you struggle yourself. The first thing is from this scripture, and I've said it before, is get some rest. Get some rest. Elijah, let God, or God let Elijah sleep. And say, hey, get up, lazy bones. Get up and sleep. So you know what it's like, the more tired you are, the more depressed you get. And it just gets into that crazy cycle. Stop, pause, and rest. We're not machines. Just get some sleep. Just get some sleep. You got that? You're writing that down? Please write these things down. Some space in the back of your notes. This is worth it. Work hard on this. Work hard on this. I want you to write it down. Alright? Get some food. If you needed evidence that God was Irish, this is it. Get up, wake up, let's eat. Let's eat. Get some food around, get the right food into you. And uh, let, me, let me just add another thing. It's, uh, I want to make sure, I want you to make sure, if you eat alone seven days a week, would you intentionally uh, make a commitment not to eat alone every day of the week? Families, listen to me. Don't go into the living room and switch on every day or whatever it is you watch. And eat alone. Eat together. There's something powerful about eating together. It's all from the scripture. That's what the table is about. Communion is not a method of sin. It's actually sitting down together and eating food together for something powerful in it. Jesus did it all the time. There's intimacy in it. There's friendship in it. There's comfort in it. Could you intention
You get food, you get perspective. Stay with me. Go to people. Find the gold diggers. Some of you need to get to people. Some of you actually need to get people to people. Do you know that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you this week need to go pick up a phone, email somebody, find your car, and get people to people. Because I know when I'm depressed, I ain't going to go to anybody. I need people to get me to people. You. Get out. Meet people. Get to people. And if you're not doing that, if you know somebody that's on their own, you're the person that's going to get people to people this week. Elijah, go to Elisha. Go to Elisha. Go to Elisha. Find people, you know people in your life that are struggling, despair, feeling depressed. Then get people to people. Live a life of meaning. Live a life of meaning. Not success. Not perfection. There's stuff that you can do that gives you meaning. And it doesn't have to be in your 95. It doesn't have to be in your occupation. But you also have a vocation. You know the difference between occupation and vocation? One is what you do for a living. The other one is the voice. The vocation is the voice. It's the voice of the Father. That they're already spoken over your life. Before you were born. Before you were in the womb. There's some things that just make you tick. And you know what they are. There's some things that make you come alive. And you know what they are. Don't you? Well, make, make your life a life of meaning. Don't put all your energy, and I will say this with wisdom, don't put all your energy and all your wisdom into your, your occupation, but find some space and some energy and some emotional time to put it into your vocation, that which brings you life. Live a life of meaning. Life is not meant to be full of void. Last thing, and this is very, very important. Are we okay? Please take these down. These are so, so helpful. Be careful who you listen to. The worst thing in life is they end up with people who make you feel alone rather than yourself. Pay attention to you who's forming you. Which voices are defining you this morning? You don't need to look at the band. Just pay attention to my voice this morning. We can allow voices into your soul and those voices stay with us for a lifetime. We can do that. We can allow voices into our soul. We do that. We always allow voices into your soul. You allow voices into your soul tomorrow. You allow voices into your soul this afternoon. And a lot of those voices actually stay in our soul for our entire lives. So I want you to be very, very careful. When I ask you the question, I want you to ask your partner the question, even when you go home today. Who gets the biggest voice? Who gets the loudest voice in your life? What gets the loudest voice in your life? The voices that fill you with fear? Is there voices that cause you to run? Do you despair? Are there? Are there voices in your life that have caused you to run for year and year in and year out to the place of hiding? And you thought you've dealt with them, but you haven't dealt with them, and all of a sudden the voice comes back again, and you run and you run and you run and you run. You run and you sleep and you run again. You think that God is absent, but he's not absent. Tomorrow can be better than today. Tomorrow can be better than today. Would you stand? Tomorrow can be better than today. So what we're going to do, we're going to do something practical this morning. We have some people serve communion, bread and wine. Not really wine. Just understands love of Jesus is red. And these guys are going to sing a song over us this morning. And I want you to take time just to pause and to ask yourself some questions this morning. Who is the voice or what is the voice that's echoing in my soul at the moment? See, the thing is that when we come to Jesus, the first thing that he wants to do is form us and then form us. Do you know that Jesus is a voice? He loves to talk. You know, he must be the loudest voice in your life. He must 
have supreme place in your heart and your soul. Let his voice echo in your soul. This is what I do every morning now. I do three things. First of all, in the morning, I breathe in. I say, Abba. I breathe out. I say, I am yours. And it just sets me up for a good day. I breathe in. Let's try and do it. Just as an exercise. When you can do it tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you open your eyes, don't go for Facebook or Twitter or check your weather. Just do this. Just breathe in and say, Abba. And breathe out and say, I am yours. Try it one more time. Abba. Abba. I am yours. Abba. I am yours. Twelve o'clock. I recite the Lord's Prayer. It begins with these beautiful words. My Father, who art in heaven, your name is highest place in my day. Your name is above every situation that I'm facing today. Anxiety, depression, fear, problems. My Father, dear. And then at the end of the day, we lie in bed at night. This is all for free. Place your hand on your heart. And the things that you don't want to take into the next day, break them off your life. And just say, God, I ain't taking these into my tomorrow. But the things that you want to take into tomorrow, things that God has spoken in your life, say, God, I am waking up again afresh with these mercies that are new, and I'm going to take them into my day again. Would you do that? Three practical steps. Everybody sing up here. Take communion and connect with God. Thank you. 